is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon Joe, my host, not Dan, not Nick. No, no, they're in London. I'm still stateside. So uh, pulling in the big ringer, we're going to do a full academy update. That's right. We've got at Chelsea Youth, the man himself, Phil, here to jump in and provide us on a little bit of update of what is now officially a wrapped up academy season for Lacabum. Phil, what's up? It is the end of the season um, and quite an end to it as well, as we'll get into with the development squad uh, who faced a final day relegation decider uh, home to our not so good friends from North London, Tottenham Hotspur. And to say it was a tense one would be underselling it somewhat. Absolutely. So just to break it down for everybody, we're going to be talking about the dev squad. Uh, then we'll talk about the 18s. And then we'll finish up some loanee stuff, some uh, some information coming out about um, player moves already, which I think is a bit premature since the fact that we just got owners and we're just about to start signing contracts and everything. But apparently uh, these players already know what's going on. So um, anyways, just to jump in, Phil and I do an academy uh, update every single week on Patreon. So if you're interested in hearing about stuff throughout the season, go there, check it out. And we try to drop something on the full feed like right now uh, once a month. So obviously you didn't hear from us last month, really, Phil. So it'll be good to kind of uh, dive in and, and, and do a light recap. We're going to have a lot of different stuff going on. But with the dev squad surviving... Just kind of give context from everybody. The dev squad is your U23 squad. They play in multiple competitions. Uh, Chelsea tend to have a younger squad, I think you would say. Uh, and it just did not go well for the, the team this season. Uh, a lot more bumps and bruises than kind of successes and victories for the group. And it found them in a relegation battle. They went all the way down to the final day of the season. Uh, and we had to play Tottenham at home, uh, which was in front of a lot of... Uh, a cat of I'm sorry in front of like the first team Tuchel was there uh Timo Kai Mason it sounds like Reese a lot of different players were there as well to really kind of bring it in so it's good to see the team spirit but my oh my how did the dev squad get into a relegation scrap this season because that doesn't sound like classic Cobham it really isn't this is a team that finished second last season and with crown champions in the pandemic shortened season the year before and they were unbeaten in that campaign this is a team that's usually competing at the top end of premier league two which this season is the top 14 of the 28 category one elite academies um and instead they found themselves toiling at the bottom end the first half of the season wasn't particularly bad there was just inconsistencies and failing to turn enough draws into wins but Post Christmas, the the luck continued to elude them. The performances started struggling, and they found themselves at the wrong end of the table. And with six games to go, very much in a relegation battle, and five of those six were away from home. So we're talking having to go to Manchester United, to Liverpool, to Everton, to Blackburn, and to Brighton in succession, fighting for your lives, and then hoping beyond hope that results went your way elsewhere. Uh, they did to a degree. Uh, Leeds were the other team that ended up fighting against Chelsea to stay up. Leeds were finished with Chelsea still having two games to play. Um, opposition against Leeds, um, both Manchester City and Arsenal did Chelsea a favour, which all boiled down to the fact that going into Sunday at Cobham, Chelsea needed nothing less than a victory to stay up. A draw would have seen them level on points with Leeds, who had a superior goal difference, and they would have gone down. 
Uh, and so it really was all on this. And the match was moved from the Friday to the Sunday because of last week's under-18 Premier League Cup win. Trying to make sure that player availability was sufficient. They couldn't do it on the Saturday because the first team played and we'll get into why that overlaps in a moment. Chelsea had requested to play it on the Monday so that they could have Kings Meadow um, as the women had it on Sunday for their title triumph. Congratulations to them. Uh, Tottenham were reluctant to play it on the Friday, so, on the Monday rather. So here we are on the Sunday at Cobham, which is usually a relatively docile environment. It's uh, obviously it's the training ground. It's a protected area. Uh, yet the raucous atmosphere of a full touchline with pretty much everybody who's anybody from the first team environment we're talking to we're talking all of his staff we're talking Petr Cech more first team players than not I wouldn't say that every one of them were there but there were several there there were also former Chelsea players who turned up um, particularly from the development squad Pierre Aqua if you remember him from the last couple of seasons he was there as well um, but I digress it just made for this atmosphere that maybe would have existed at Kings Meadow in front of fans the players needed that lift, and did they ever need the lift after the longer... We, we spoke last week about the need for an early goal in this match. We didn't get an early goal. We got to half-time at 0-0. It gets tense. It gets nervous. Tottenham take the lead, and then suddenly you're looking at your shoes thinking, oh, you need two now. This is going to be a, a really, really unsure finish. And then, lo and behold, goals in the 82nd and 88th minute turned it around. Andy Myers made three subs in the second half. He brought on Dion Rankin, he brought on Joe Hagen, he brought on Lewis Hall, and the three of them turned things on its head. We had uh, Lewis Hall with the uh, assist for Dion Rankin, first of all, and then a big, big role in the winner, driving forward on the counter-attack, handing over to Mason Burstow, who was making his debut for the club, and uh, and Hague bundled in the winner. It, absolute scenes you can look at the video highlights that Chelsea have shared and pick out your favorite reaction from Tuchel to Chilwell to Mount to Rankin himself to anyone on the touchline uh, and that was how it felt and the seven minutes of added time were as excruciating as the first team's added minutes the day before and everyone's just clinging on for dear life that there wasn't going to be a repeat circumstance yeah we don't need to relive this stoppage time against Wolves uh thank you very much so uh but there's a couple different faces in this one so you know, obviously, being the dev squad, the U23s, um, it is very normal to play first-team players that are younger and aren't getting a lot of minutes. Uh, it sounds like Chelsea were even recalling their League One loanees back for this one. Um, how did that kind of shape the face of the squad on the last day? Obviously, Trevo and, and Saar probably being the two biggest faces in that in that group. Yeah, so we spoke about this again in the, the weekly updates and the anticipation of what Chelsea might do when it came down to win or bust. Would someone like Ross Barkley get a game? Would Hudson-Odoi be fit enough to contribute and indeed be allowed to contribute? Would Kennedy play? There was all sorts of speculation in the build-up to the game, mainly surrounding the League One loanies who were returning because their, their season's finished ahead of the other EFL divisions, which amounted to Burstow, uh, to Henry Lawrence and to Juan Castillo. Um, and it, it turned out that Burstow was the only one of the returning loanees to play. It was his first appearance in a Chelsea shirt. As a reminder, Chelsea signed him from Charlton on January's transfer deadline day, left him there on loan till the end of the season. Their campaign's finished, so he comes back here and immediately gets thrown in as the centre-forward, which is a bold statement because it meant that Jay Wareham was on the bench and Wareham's the team's top goalscorer this season, and Soonsup Bell uh, wasn't involved at all. 
Not sure whether that was a selection choice or injury. He played a, a very tough 90 minutes against Fulham a few days earlier, scored the winning goal in that cup final. But it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Burstow had a, a decent enough game and a big hand in the winning goal. In defence, we had Saar and Trev Chalaba flanking Captain Bashir Humphreys in the back three. And I can see the idea behind that being give the team a solid foundation, make sure they don't concede so that we we give ourselves a chance of going and scoring one goal. They're not going to flood the team with first-team overloads. They're not going to suddenly bring in Mason Mount, who didn't play against Wolves. That's not the way they were going to approach this. They were going to let the boys who got themselves into this position do the most to get themselves out of it with a little bit of support where necessary and where the first team allowed them to. And both Trev and Saar did themselves justice. They didn't play outstanding. They didn't do anything particularly wrong. During the second half, you'd see Saar take a little bit more of a reserved role, whereas Trev would then sort of become a little bit more buccaneering. As soon as they went 1-0 down, he swapped into central midfield. And the longer the game went on, he didn't really have a position. It was whatever you needed him to do. Because this is a, a player who's got not just first-team quality, but Champions League first-team quality. He was part of a team that kept a clean sheet and absolutely dominated Juventus earlier in the season. He is he holds an unbeaten record when he started for the first team this season. So you know there's a quality difference anyway. But when you needed him to sprint back and to, uh, to cover, he would. He When you needed him to step into midfield, he would. When you needed him to be the overlapping centre-back, he would. And just having that sort of safety valve allowed everyone else to take a few more risks at a time where you absolutely had to take more risk. You would push players forward uh, and then see what Tottenham would do in response, knowing that you had, you wouldn't leave Trev back as the last man, but his ability to eat up ground and to, to play to a high level of stamina in the 85th, 87th, 90th minutes when other players around him might not be at that physical capacity, they haven't reached that stage of their development yet, was probably the most useful thing that Chelsea got out of it. Look, big, big presence, and and they needed it in that big game. Like I said, there was just so much pressure coming down to it. It's it was the least Cobham type scenario that we'd ever really been experienced to. So, um, you know, they they still I think you know relied on most of the the traditional players, but you know to bring in three names on the final days, like it also teaches the guys like look, you got to win at all costs, right? At some point, you know, things matter and 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 this group has gotten us this situation. We got to figure it out. And they did. I mean, again, the, the fight and the character and the resilience was still there, which is what we know from this team. They just kept conceding stupid early goals and then they would have this big comeback in the second half or afterwards and they just needed to get that cleaned up. So it'll be interesting when we dive into like the full postmortem of the season. But yeah, wild, wild scenes for this dev squad and kind of like how everything shaped up. So We'll, we'll get more into it, I guess, you know, last time, um, or at least last chance real quick, just to touch on the fact that Tuchel was there, check, assistance, a lot of the first-team players. I'm sure part of it was out of convenience that the guys were there probably doing recovery or, you know, probably getting massages and, and talking to the, the trainers about recovery and icing and things like that. But, I mean, the fact that they still were there, you know, it's... I don't know, Phil, it always seems like an like a cheap talking point or like an easy way for people to talk about whether or not they like a manager or not is whether or not they go to youth matches, I feel like. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a touchstone comment for any manager, especially when we've had Jody Morris talk before about how there was an under nineteen Champions League game going on, the manager's in his office fifty fifty yards away and isn't interested in coming. It's very easy to criticize not doing it, it's very easy to praise doing it. Tuchel spoke in his press conference earlier today, which is Tuesday as we're recording, that they weren't meant to be in training on Sunday, 
but after Wolves, they felt that it was better to be together as a collective, uh, not not out of punishment, not out of criticism. They didn't have a video nasty. They just came in and they discussed where things had gone wrong. Everyone had the chance to air their viewpoint. A very, very light day. The players who had played did very little. The players who hadn't played did uh, a slight recovery session to to keep their physical condition up. And then their, their work was done. And it was, it was a lovely, warm, sunny Sunday afternoon at Cobham. The players were encouraged, I imagine, to, to lend their support to the academy. Some of them had their family with them. Uh, and it was it was it was good to see that show of solidarity uh, for the academy, whether it was genuine or not in each individual case. I, I will certainly not take it as anything other than genuine. It wasn't performative. It wasn't done knowing that there was going to be cameras there or anything other like that. I think there was just a general interest in supporting the other side of the club. As Tuchel said, they are supportive. They are humble. They are warm. They are friendly when they can be. Whether it means very much that they turn up and watch, I tend not to think so I think it's the the low bar uh, you'd expect to see some interest from the first team side it doesn't have to be from the manager it could be from a member of the coaching staff it needs to be integrated alongside regular dialogue regular shows of interest in bringing players over to train and then more importantly and most importantly giving them first team opportunities I've been making friends on Twitter again today by suggesting that at a time where Chelsea have faced the busiest schedule they could possibly face this season on the back of a very busy last season. If you're playing a game on average every three and a half to four days and you have the likes of Harvey Vale, Jude Soonsup Bell, Lewis Hall and Xavier Simons who all made their first team debuts either side of Christmas and they did so against, okay, let's, Hall played against a National League team, a fifth, te- fifth tier team, but the other three played against a rotated Brentford team with players who have played in the Premier League this season and avoided relegation in the Premier League this season. We're not talking about assimilating these guys as being every game starters, but if you need to rotate and you're worrying about your squad depth and player availability and the accumulation of fatigue and the toll that this schedule takes on you, maybe you could have trusted some of these boys a little bit more with minutes at the end of games. If you've got an eight-game consecutive away game run that you've won, you're winning big scores at Burnley, take off your your Jorginho's or your Kovacic's or your Kante's for 20 minutes and put Simons out there. Take off uh, any of your forwards, Pulisic or Mount or Havertz, and give Harvey Vale more than the 70 minutes he's had since his debut. And that's across a number of games. It's not about play all of the kids. It's about involving them a little bit more because they've shown that you can trust them. That they're, they're, The floor of their performances is good enough to to get involved um, maybe it's a little bit optimistic for me because Ross Barkley will sit on the bench and not get onto the pitch. It's the principle of rotating with the assets that you have so that you can reach this stage of the season and not be looking like you're out of gas, that you're trying to just get to the finish line or everything's on the FA Cup final. I appreciate it's hard when you're knocked out of the Champions League and have the, the, the air literally punched out of you. But we're going to get to the end of the season. Um, by way of comparison, Liverpool are going to play one more match this season. Uh, and they don't look anywhere near as tired. They've prioritised certain competitions over others. They've still managed to reach all f- every cup final available to them, uh, and I think they've rotated more effectively than Chelsea have. I think it's one of the questions that needs to be asked of the first-team staff, and we can ask criticism, ask and be critical without being damning and without losing the support for them. But from my perspective, at least, and I understand that I'm biased towards the academy, but there are assets there that you can use to your benefit to make sure that when the stakes are at the highest you have the fittest and freshest senior players available to you all right well more to come obviously with the dev squad uh we're gonna take a quick break though when we 
get back from our a word from our sponsor. We're going to jump into the 18s, like I said, and a little bit of Lone Army chit-chat before. So thank you to sponsor for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well... It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in, you know, we're all focusing our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and it's trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so obviously a lot of drama with the with the dev squad. Uh, we won't even really touch on the 19s because that fizzled out way too soon. So the 18s would be the other uh, team that plays again in multiple competitions throughout the the entire the entire season in the Southern Conference. Um, a much better season in comparison, but still coming up quite a bit short for them. Uh, and again, it sounds like a lot of young players, a lot of new players uh, to this team. Uh, finishing seventh of 14 uh, is how it ended and kind of fizzled out the last game of the season, losing to Southern Conference champions uh, Southampton. Um, but kind of what did you make of the season just at large a little bit for the 18s? Yeah, so I think there can be some fair parallels drawn to the first team in that the schedule took its toll and a gut punch of a knockout tournament just really ended it there. So the first team were knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid. The The youth team were four minutes away from a Youth Cup final return and succumbed. they lost 3-1 at Nottingham Forest to three late goals. And from, from there, I don't think they ever really recovered. They were still in with a chance of winning the league at that point. They had games in hand uh, at home against title rivals and they weren't able to get the job done there. And I think it's because it was really hard to overcome that that shocking end to the game at Forest. It was in hand, it was relatively comfortable and much like the first team in Madrid, you're minutes away from qualifying and you end up having it snatched away from you. And at that point, you you start to look to next season. You don't have the same amount of depth at youth team level either to, to try to carry you through to the end of the season. So this is where we started to see Ed Brand and Andy Ross bring in some of the under-16s for next season. 13 of them including one under 15, um, got minutes between that game and the final one at Southampton. They started four under 16s at Southampton. 
against a team heavy on experience that had won the league a few days earlier and now have a national final at home against Manchester City to prepare for. Uh, that 5-2 wasn't particularly fair on Chelsea either. It, it got out of hand a little bit early in the second half. It could have easily been all square or Chelsea going in 1-0 up a, half, a goal to the good at halftime, should I say. They were 1-0 down instead. And then in the space of a couple of minutes, just around the hour mark, they go 2-0 down to a, an absolute worldie of a strike from one of the Southampton midfielders. And then moments later, they, they make a mistake and you go 3-0 down. And then it's out of your sight. You, you're not going to come back from 3-0 down with a much younger team away from home. It goes 4-0 and 5-0. And they got some respectability back later on. A couple of assists from Malik Mothersil, who ended as the team's top goal scorer. Uh, a couple of goals from Silko Thomas and Leo Carlsaldine, who... Almost did the double-double this season for the youth team. He, he got 11 goals, 9 assists. Had he done the double-double, he would have been the first since Dominic Solanke to do it solely within the youth team. There have been players who've done it across age groups, like, like Callum Hudson-Odoi, for example. Um, but it's testament to the sort of season that Castledean has had. Um, and Ed Brand picked him out for particular praise after the Under-18 Cup final, in which he scored saying that he, um, he, he in particular spends a lot of time after each training session working on various facets of his game like finishing, like the goals he's been putting away in recent weeks. And we, we hear about natural talent, we talk about prodigious talent, but hard work is, underpins everything. And he'll be far from the only one at Cobham doing it, but it's it's good to see that this stuff is talked about in the public eye because it matters and he's reaping the rewards of his effort right now. Overall, though, that, that silverware was deserved for this team. It was nice to see them have a tangible reward because we talk about development and we talk about winning and it does matter. And we've got the class of 2020 graduating from youth team football now. They won't play anymore at this level. They missed out on the chance to win the Youth Cup, but they do have a trophy to take with them as they now move up to development squad full time. Some of them have done it already. Harvey Vale has been playing up there regularly. Sunsup Bell has been in and out of it, but more up. Charlie Webster has been doing the same. Alfie Gilchrist sort of branching across both everyone from that class now mother seal edwin anderson luke badley morgan that they'll all go up this summer and, and populate the development squad that is hoping to bounce back from a relegation battle and never be in one again correct uh we would like to definitely uh, avoid that at all costs um you know same kind of thing for the 18s you know stretched at times new crop you know like i said it is it just fair to have a down year as an academy i mean i think these are very you know, kind of like not what most Chelsea, I think, fans that are very casual listeners of the academy, I think we just all assume that it's nothing but trophies and sunshine. But at the same time, it's about developing players and getting through adverse situations and things. And I mean, this team obviously saw uh, definitely more positives and negatives, but um, kind of ran out of gas at, at moments through the season, it seemed like. They did. And I don't think anyone's in denial about the quality of individual player that Chelsea are bringing through. They have and they will and they continue will continue to pr produce players. If I tell people that the Southampton team that won the league this year finished rock bottom of the South Division last season, it'll give you some sort of context as to the work that goes in across a two-year period for players who come in and sign their scholarships. Chelsea will naturally accelerate some players beyond their age groups. So Lewis Hall and Brody Hughes are first-year scholars by name who have played the predominant part of the season with the development squad, and in Lewis's case, has played for the first team. But for the the chunk of your players that you bring in as scholars at 16, it's a two-year programme through the youth team to develop. And I'm looking at Southampton squad that finished bottom last year. Uh, we had Matthew Carson play against Chelsea on Saturday. Diamond Edwards 
You had Ryan Finnegan, Lewis Payne. These aren't names that will mean anything to Chelsea fans, but they all played and won the title in their second year. It's a big body of work that that came to fruition for them. That people they, They'll have seen the criticism of them last season. They finished absolutely rock bottom, nowhere near anybody else. And their, their under-23 team, or as they've rechristened it, their B team, they can do whatever they want with naming conventions. It's all the same to, as far as everyone else is concerned. They, they struggled for a long, long, long time. And then everything starts coming together. And it's it's the the, the, the accumulation and the build-up of the work that you put into these boys that eventually shines through, uh, especially for a high-level academy like a Chelsea or a Southampton or a Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, so on and so forth, that there is quality in there. And sometimes it doesn't hit the ground running in the first year. I think we've been spoiled at Chelsea and I don't like using the word spoiled because it makes it sound like it's not worthy or that the academy have been lucky in that way but when you ha- when you win five youth cups in a row and it's historic because nobody else has done it um, for 50 years it's not usual it's it's special for that reason those unbelievable runs under A.D. Vivash and Joe Edwards and Jody Morris are the outliers they set the bar high and don't get me wrong Chelsea going to every season wanting to attain that level of success and they continue to produce high quality players regardless of whether they win trophies at the youth team level or not. That much is more uh, correlation than causation, although there is some truth to the fact that you're, you're producing successful, talented young players. The chances are they're going to go on to become successful, talented senior players. But it's a little bit of a down year or a down cycle finishing seventh mid-table two years in a row, but that doesn't mean that there's any reason to panic there's no sense around Cobham that they're going to be panicking there will be changes this summer there are always changes this summer it's more reflective of an ever more competitive academy landscape that maybe Chelsea had an advantage in recruitment in finances or whatever through the first five years of ERPP which is about to hit the 10 years uh, since it was introduced and reformed the way the English development worked. Everybody has more scope to catch up than Chelsea have to pull away. And it's it's at this juncture where Chelsea is sort of now, how do we reassert ourselves and find the advantage? And we're going to get into a little bit more of this in a a season wrap. But the overarching point is the, the results on the pitch, as much as Chelsea play to win, aren't a reason to worry if they're not coming. Well, and the good news is there was silverware this season. Granted, this team exactly. had a potential treble, but like the I just the mentality and the drive and the comments after the match about that being an expectation, like it, it it's important. Like they didn't win the league, okay, fine, but they made it what to the semifinals in another competition. They made it to the finals and won this one. Like that that. Uh, that winning mentality, trophy mentality, was definitely present in this team. Exactly, and I'd, I'd encourage people to consider whether they would think this first team season is a success or a failure, finishing third behind maybe the two best teams in world football, reaching two domestic cup finals, and being a heartbeat away from beating Real Madrid and getting to the Champions League semi-finals. Some people will consider it a failure, some people consider it a disappointment, Some people, most people will think that Chelsea have had a good year. Not a great year, not a spectacular year, but a good, a positive year. It's it's north of 50% towards the 100%. It's not south of it. Uh, and the first team and youth under-18 seasons kind of mirror themselves in that way that it's not what we wanted it to be, but it's not been a, a failure of epic proportion. Certainly not. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, good. Like, 
18s, love to hear it. And like I said, we had multiple debuts uh, when we were still in the League Cup, which was uh, a fun time of the season as well for a lot of these young players. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So we can touch on some Loney stuff uh, because uh, we have a lot of championship playoff players. We've got some seasons coming to the end, some updates. So the first one we can start with is obviously a lot, a lot of people have had their eyes on Levi uh, Colwell. Um, and I think understandably so. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Naz wrote his big piece. I think, wasn't he on the next gen top 50 list? Yeah, I think he was. I think he yeah. might have been Chelsea's only player in there and, Given that some of the names that went in there, I think that was probably unfair on some others at Chelsea, but that's the nature of these lists. They are controversial subjects and it's not really worth... It's why I've never done lists, for example. <laughs> I, I think as soon as you start ranking players, it becomes a controversial subject and yes. hard to justify. It becomes arbitrary, but yes, he, it's more reflective that he's held in high regard by plenty of people in the game and he's showing why. Yeah. So him, uh, he was there all season. And then obviously, um, uh, Tino Andrin joining, you know, midway, he was in, in Russia injury, didn't really work. Manager left. Uh, but they made it to the semifinals in the championship playoffs, which I mean, it's all intents and purposes quite good. Yeah, it is. So Huddersfield had a, a really unexpected year and they'll be the first to admit it or their fans certainly will. Um, and they've made the the playoffs and they were in contention to go up automatically in the championship. Fulham and Bournemouth ultimately prevailed. And it means that you've now got Huddersfield against Luton and Sheffield United against Nottingham Forest in the playoffs and one of those teams will be in the Premier League next year. Colwell has been a foundation part for Huddersfield. He hasn't been an every game player because he's had some struggles with injuries, which may be to be expected in the first year in a full-on uh, professional men's league Andrew enjoyed in January um, knowing that he was recovering from the broken foot he picked up in Moscow and he hasn't been able to play maybe as much as everyone would have hoped and Carlos Corberan was talking about this last week that uh, he's still looking at him as maybe something of an impact sub but the sort of impact he can make was demonstrated away to Coventry recently he came on uh, and was awarded man of the match he won a penalty scored his first goal for the club for the penalty spot and basically just took over the match and we've we talked about this a little bit uh, in the past if he can be a match winner for them in the playoffs and the playoffs provide a ridiculous amount of unpredictable drama so everything is possible then he'll be an asset and, and we'll, we we know he's an asset but he could potentially take them to the Premier League which would be a hell of a story uh, and a fine way to end a season that will have been frustrating in several regards but he's one of four players at Huddersfield with a Chelsea connection. We've got Levi as well. And then two former Chelsea Academy boys, Jamal Blackman is the backup goalkeeper there. Uh, and John Russell is a little bit of a, a folk hero up at town. Uh, he joined their B team after leaving Chelsea last year uh, and sort of broke in mid season, maybe just maybe a bit before that. And he's just made certain parts of the team. His own. He's a huge human being. Uh, and, doesn't always look he's got that sort of effortless movement that Ruben Loftus-Cheek has got where it sometimes look as he's being a little bit lazy but he's not he's just he finds it's an elegant movement and things can come so easily to him that then you want to challenge and find ways to for him to make an impact and he's been doing that for Huddersfield so everywhere you look up there there is a bit of a Chelsea influence and if you want to adopt a team for the playoffs then they're as good as any because we've got 
legitimate first team potential in there and a bit of an academy connection and who knows what's going to happen but it's good to see them there and then in the league one playoffs uh, Jamie Cumming was in goal for Milton Keynes um, the league one schedule is well ahead of everybody else for reasons we won't get into um, Jamie spent the first half of the season with Gillingham who ended up getting relegated and when Milton Keynes lost uh, their goalie in January to Swansea they moved very quickly to get Jamie who they had been looking at in the same division and had a, a, a plenty of background knowledge on knowing that he would fit their system perfectly he went in there and was maybe an improvement on their old goalkeeper with no disrespect to him uh, they fell short at the end. They lost the first leg of their playoff to Wickham 2-0 and they won 1-0 in the second, losing on aggregate. Somehow they only scored one in that match. So Jamie's season is over. And it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea manage this goalkeeping situation next year because there's talk that Kepa may be available or to move on this summer. Mendy is entrenched first choice. But then what do you do with the backups? Bettinelli is the perfect backup, whether it's second or third choice, because he's homegrown. He's happy to serve in that role. He's clearly a positive influence on the training ground and in the goalkeeper's room. But then what you do with the succession of players behind them is important because you've got Nathan Baxter coming off a full season at Hull where he did very well. And you've got Jamie, who's a division behind him, but roughly at the same uh, step of their career by equivalent age. Uh, you've got uh, Carlo Ziga's been out on loan. You've had uh, Ethan Wadey out on loan. And then you've got the development squad boys, Lucas Bergstrom, Ted Sharman, Lowe, all coming up. And I don't think any of them need to be used as a, a, a third-choice goalie when you want them to continue playing, continue their development. But certainly Jamie will be looking to play championship football next season and... And he'll be vindicated in doing so because he was he, one of the best stoppers in, in League One this year. Ah, uh, good old goalkeeper talk, Phil. Gotta love it, you know. Um, yeah, you know, look, you got the, the two guys split time in the dev squad. Um, you've got, like I said, four, I think three or four goalkeepers on loan. Uh, to your point, sounds like Keppa might be opening up a spot. Bettinelli's probably in no hurry to go anywhere. He kind of knows where he's at in his career. So... You know, from there, we just kind of have to shake out and see. And I love that these guys are getting time. They're getting meaningful minutes. They're not going to want that to stop to go back to the bench. I mean, Cumming was definitely a third third spot for a couple of seasons. Was probably enjoyed hanging around the first team, but there's nothing better than playing week in, week out as a goalkeeper. So I fully expect them to refuse to come back to Chelsea until anything uh, concrete is coming their way. And they've got nothing but time as well uh, on their side, as, as we've seen from goalkeepers. Uh, but then lastly, Ian Matson. Uh, he had a great season with Coventry, uh, named their Young Player of the Year. Uh, all of a sudden, a little bit of a fallout with Alonzo, allegedly with Tuchel, a little bust up in the dressing room at halftime at Wolves. Uh, quote, we'll never play again under Tuchel, end quote, which is all just a bunch of headline writing, if we're being honest. Um so again, Ian Matson uh, spent spent his time Dujon Sterling on the right. You've got two young wing back esque players, outside back players coming up after a, a season what in the championship? Yeah, uh, Sterling was at Blackpool, Matson was at Coventry, and it, it's an interesting discussion because even before the Alonso controversy uh, or non controversy, as Chelsea would like you to believe, uh, there was talk that Barcelona were interested in signing him and. It might be at the right time of his career to for it seek another challenge. The 
not so elephant in the room as the Ben Shuel is currently recovering from an ACL injury. We don't know exactly when he'll be back. You can project that he might be back for the start of the season, but it depends how much preseason he has, for example. And that informs your decision-making at wing-back. Obviously, Chelsea have Emerson uh, potentially returning from loan. Uh, they, they brought back Kennedy and didn't use him. But but Martin's obviously the the young left back who's trending upwards and talked today that he may be off on uh, on loan next year to Dortmund is is interesting from the point of view that if you think that he's good enough to play for Dortmund is he therefore good enough to serve in a rotational capacity at Chelsea? Uh, everyone would have their own opinions on that. The the good and impressive thing with Martin is that he can play in a large number of roles and has done at Coventry in in many different ways he and international level as well for a long time you can play him in central midfield and not only can you play him in central midfield but if you want to use your wing backs in inverted ways as Tuchel has done at various points with Chilwell and James having somebody who is technically proficient and comfortable enough to come inside into central areas and not be like a deer in headlights is advantageous uh, Coventry also used him as a number 10 on occasion when they had injury issues Charlton last season used him as a, a right winger cutting inside onto his left foot you can use Martin in a, a number of ways and having a Swiss army type knife type player as your your depth option gives you flexibility you put him on the bench and next season in the Premier League we have five substitutes to use from the nine not just the three from this season so it, it opens up more avenues for youngsters to get involved and Fine, going to Germany on loan and playing for Dortmund will be great for his development uh, and it gives him more avenues if there's no Chelsea career at the end of it. But he's an asset to Chelsea and if spending power is going to be unpredictable this summer, uh, if, you, if you're if you forced or if you've forced yourself into having to spend on one or two central defenders because of the way you've handled contract situations and uh, homegrown talent who've been allowed to leave prematurely in my opinion, then you're you're forced to look at what you have and and go from there. They didn't invest uh, in cover at right back when Reese James was injured and the option was there to do so in January. You now have Dujon Sterling, who had a positive preseason with Tuchel last summer. Is a little bit older than Martin. He's definitely physically capable of holding his own in the top flight. And if he's happy to serve in a, a Loftus Cheek style capacity where you might not start every match but you've got the capacity to play yourself into starting as Ruben did he played uh, away to Real Madrid and, and put in a really good performance there then Dujon might see that as uh, as an opportunity himself and it, it, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of Chelsea have these options available to them with potentially limited money we don't know what the new ownership group are going to be made available but there are clear priorities in the team um, and you don't want to be spending money on backups or depth if you can avoid it. You'd rather spend all of that money on chief difference makers, whether that's your central midfielder of choice, whether that's a potential replacement centre forward for a one-to-way one, whether that's uh, numerous new centre halves. Chelsea are going to have limited money in some regard to spend on a number of issues in the squad. So these are the conversations that they'll be having that we're undoubtedly going to be having as a fan base as to how can you best use you're you're developing young talent that's been away on loan bring them back into the squad i think everyone's accepting that conor gallagher is likely to come back i think everyone's looking at levi colwell as an option to come back armando brogia may need need another loan but in in another world you bring him back in and you keep him around and develop him at home 
there's so many young talents coming through back to the point about earlier that the results may have not been there for the youth team for example but there's no doubt that Chelsea have got a pipeline of talent uh, that maybe has been misused by a series of managers in the past but with new ownership coming in that's developed a fantastic development path uh, pipeline with the LA Dodgers that we can hope that maybe the door is a bit more open than it would have been uh, a few months ago. So I think exactly. If you think back to the number of different wing backs and like Pulisic has played, Calum Hudson-Doy has played, Aspi has played, Reese has had to play on both sides. You just said Ruben and Real Madrid. Clearly there's a need for better solution. I'm sorry, Saul. Saul has played a bunch of left back. Um, it's clearly something that, you know, Tuchel is, is trying to figure out. Sometimes they even put like more of a, a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 where the wingbacks aren't really even defenders. Pulisic will play there, you know, is more much more of an attacking role. So again, to your point, these Swiss Army Knife type players, they've you would think that they would have a very good shot at trying to earn themselves in preseason. Tuchel's talked about preseason is he's excited for all the loanees to come back so you can really see them and have a full preseason with everybody. So we'll see how that goes as well. But look, the deck is starting to shuffle already, and we're not really surprised, I think, at all. You know, Phil, these players take their careers extremely seriously, as they should, and they just want what's best for them. And uh, they're going to want to hear assurances from Tuchel and the club on on kind of what their role and their development path is. And and that's kind of where it's it's left us at this point. So season's over uh, for the academy. Uh, Loney's are still wrapping up. And now that Chelsea are going to get a new license and sign off with Bowley and company and everything, like we can finally get back to a little bit of normalcy this season finally, which I'm sure will be a welcome, welcome uh, perspective for the academy and the Loney's, won't it? It really will. And just one last point about preseason it'll be the first normal preseason in two years I as know. well there's been restrictions on where they can go how often they can play friendlies who they can play friendlies against where they can play friendlies last year's was affected by international tournaments which uh serendipitously played into trevor chalaba's hands uh, and i think the, the proof of whether that was uh, by fate or good fortune or by design will be revealed a little bit more this summer because they have a bespoke preseason. They will be fully in control of who's there, where they go, how they play, how they preparation, how long you're going to have for preseason, who you're going to take with you and who you have proper plans for integrating into the squad. And that's uh, certainly an exciting note to to finish the season with and, and look towards uh, next season after a well-deserved break. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much as always, Phil. Look, if you're not following the encyclopedia brain of Phil, it's at Chelsea Youth on Twitter. Dude knows everything about Lacabum. Uh, we're going to be doing more, like I said, a deep dive postmortem in each of the teams and kind of the backroom staff. And then, like, is any changes and shakeups happen with the ownership group and things like Phil B here? on ready to cover everything that happens so again phil thank you so much for your time and all of your knowledge it's always a pleasure good if you want more find us on patreon we're there every single week so until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high